Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. And I'm Richard Roper. We're going to talk about Ferris, and we've got breaking news. What does all of that mean? We'll tell you in just one second. Screen Time with Ron Roper is being brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing that drives your overall business success because they believe today's online environment is your opportunity. Get started today at AmericanEagle.com. Bueller? Bueller! <laughs> nine times? I don't recall Ferris being absent nine times. But you know what? I heard straight from my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend who heard from this guy who knows this kid who saw Ferris passed out at 31 Flavors last night. That was how Simone, his classmate, uh-huh. uh, played by Christy Swanson, oh. uh, Buffy, mm-hmm. uh, from the movie Buffy, uh, Vampire Slayer. That's how she described you know, the rumors about uh, Ferris and how, if he was really all that sick. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off, June 1986, a summer movie about a kid taking the ultimate day off. Did you see it when it opened I in did. theaters? I did. Did you feel like it was a little bit like your life? Because I've heard people compare <laughs> you to that when you were in high school. I didn't yeah. know you were in high school, but we have mutual friends. Some of them knew you in high school yeah. who say that you had a Bueller-esque persona. Yeah, I can't believe that movie's 35 years old. Yeah. That's the first part. It makes me feel incredibly old. And yeah, I was I was just out of high school at that point. Yeah. And it really did catch me. You know, it, <laughs> it because I wasn't exactly as, uh, I don't know, as calculating as he was or as brazen, because I don't think I would have done all of those things. <laughs> but I certainly understood who Ferris Bueller was. I think everybody had one of those in their high school. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Matthew Broderick, I think, was the one of the keys. Obviously, it's John Hughes's movie, and it's one of his best. I rank it just beneath, like, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, probably. Mm-hmm. It is endured, I think, more so than even some of his other big movies. Like, Sixteen Candles is a film that people don't talk about nearly as much as they talk about, for example, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I think one of the keys, Roe, was, you know, this guy, through a, a different lens is a shit, you know, this Ferris Bueller, (laughs) you know, who gets away with stuff. But because Matthew Broderick is so likable and so charming and just, you know, he has that built-in empathy. So when you see him on screen, you like this guy and he plays well off of others. And the other thing, of course, is the title Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, various anniversaries. I think the fifth anniversary, the 10th, the 15th, (laughs) whatever the case may be. Probably. Uh, what I always maintained about this film, Roe, is first of all, it's, it's a brilliantly constructed day-in-the-life comedy, and we can talk a little bit about the fact that okay, his day off probably would have got him home at midnight with all the stuff they yeah, did, okay. but it's a we movie. To, right. uh, but what I always uh, maintained about this film from the start, that Ferris Bueller did not need a day off. Ferris Bueller had it going, man. He was a good student. He had you know Sloan Peterson, the great girlfriend. He was going off to college, loving parents. Yeah, the sister's a little annoying, but she in the end turns out to be a, a friend to him as well. It's it's Cameron who who needs the day off, and it's really Cameron's day off. And I've made this point before, and now I get quoted in all these journals and stuff, and people think I'm nuts, but I'm pretty serious about this. In a way, it's a suicide prevention film because Cameron is deeply depressed and has some serious issues at home, and doesn't want to live almost, doesn't want to get out of bed. And he's a contrarian, uh, he's a rebel. I mean, the fact that he wears a Detroit Red Wings jersey in a movie set in Chicago 
tells you everything you need to know about Cameron. He, when he gets the gumption and energy to finally get out of bed and leave the house, he's almost looking to be ostracized from the moment he walks outside in his Red Wings jersey on a day off in Chicago. Yes. Well, let's go back to casting. You just were starting to make the point that this movie is really sold on casting. If you had anybody less than Matthew Broderick playing that role, the principal-esque character, you know, the authority figure. Ed Rooney. Yeah, who ended up uh, yeah. being kind of a creepy dude yeah, in real life. In real life yeah. uh, the secretary, who's, you know, incredibly famous for not only that role, but commercials and other work that she has done. You know, I mean, there, there were so many iconic figures, and you could not have done that with lesser actors. Well, Ben Stein, you know, the guy that says Bueller, 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 who went on to, you know, win Ben Stein's money and all these other roles, you know, became very famous right. uh, based on about six lines in, in this movie. And, of course, Mia Sarah mm-hmm. as Sloane Peterson, who was just, you know, the most wonderful girlfriend. And, again, a real friend to Cameron, you know, was 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 along for the ride there, too. And, uh, I, I, you know, she's gone, she's gone on to do quite a bit of work over the years. And one of the things I always found interesting about Mia Sarah, who plays uh, Sloane, in real life, Ro yes. Connor, are you ready yes. for this? Yeah, I know where you're going here. <laughs> in real life, she was married to the sons of two show business legends. Not at the same time, because that would put her in Utah in 1850. Yeah. But she was married to uh, Jason Connery, the son of Sean Connery, and then married um, Brian Henson, the son of the Muppets. Well, he wasn't actually the son of the Muppets. Although, I, could, yeah. although I think it would be less son of a Muppet if a Muppet gave birth in a real human. But that's a whole oh, other situation. How dare you? Yeah. I Yes. And she's gone on to be uh, a very uh, wealthy and interesting person who doesn't work in the industry anymore. Doesn't need to. It's sort of like uh, uh, Jamie Gertz, speaking of stars who came up during that same period of time, was in the movie Less Than Zero. Jamie Gertz famously had a guest starring role on Seinfeld as the woman who didn't have a square to spare. Right. Remember, Elaine wanted a square <laughs> toilet paper. Right. And um, when people say, you know, talk about uh, Jamie Gertz now, she's most familiar, and we're going to talk about sports in part two of the podcast today, okay. but she is married to the owner of the Atlanta Hawks. There you go. And you see Jamie Gertz on NBA Draft Day. When they do the, not, not draft day, but when they do the lottery, yeah. the ping pong ball thingies, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Right. She's the representative. She's the, you know, the, each team has either the president or maybe a good luck charm. And the first time Jamie Gertz went out there, people were like, why is square to spare, spare to square? Why, <laughs> Jamie Gertz, the actress, like, is everybody going to have somebody from the 80s and 90s? Like, yes, they you do. Know, here, you know, here comes some more. Um, but she and they've had and they've had some pretty good drafts and trades and uh, all of a sudden now they're in the. That's, uh, you think that's how it? You think Jamie I think it's because Gertz of effect? Jamie Gertz? Yeah, yeah. and okay. that's why uh, Trey Young is so good. Okay, I guess so. So there we go. This sure. how the, the the degrees of separations on screen time are unbelievable. And let's talk about the some of the other casting since we're just sure. rounded out because you also have a couple other appearances by people yeah. like Charlie Sheen, for example, has a. a, a Best described as a cameo appearance yeah. as the kid in the police station, right? And this is all sort of in advance of that Rat Pack kind of moment that was also going on. But this wasn't a Rat Pack movie. No, it wasn't. It's interesting, though, too. Um, John Hughes, of course, we've talked about this. He, you know, liked to use uh, some of the same actors in different roles or their brothers. Emilio Estevez is then, in the, you know, is in The Breakfast Club. And then there's always the sort of like in-joke thing. So Charlie Sheen's character is Garth 
Volbeck, okay, in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't know if they ever if they ever call him Garth Volbeck, but that's who he is in the credits. When Ed Rooney's car gets towed, it's towed by Volbeck's Wrecking Service. <laughs> and you, know, you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, he kind of looked like a grease monkey mechanic, right? Like the Charlie Sheen character. I suppose. And then remember the famous restaurant, uh, it was called Shea Key, right? Uh, C-H-E-Z-Q-U-I-S. The fancy restaurant where, right. of course... Ferris said he was Abe Froman, yes, the, the sausage, sausage king, king of Chicago. Chicago yeah. uh, Shakey's, Shakey's Pizza. That's what the joke there was. Shakey's is, oh. you know, Shakey's, which wow. I don't know if Shakey's still around. I think there might be a few Shakey's Pizza. Sure, but that was a, a very popular uh, pizza joint of the time. So there was always those kind of fun things. But then, you know, John Hughes had this really, and you, you see it in a lot of his movies, and in certain freeze frame shots or like artistically done stuff that you wouldn't normally see in, you know, broader comedies. But, you know, the scene where they go to the Art Institute and there's that kind of moment where Cameron's looking at the painting with it, you know, done in that certain style. And we zoom in closer and close. Sunday in the Park with George is, right. the, is the is the English pronunciation of that one. Shea mm-hmm. Keys, for those of you playing at home. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and it's really the kind of beautiful, lovely, but also kind of, you know, jarring moment because he's identifying with like this one little girl in the painting and his face when we zoom in on that while this sort of classical lyrical music is playing i mean it's pretty amazing stuff yeah it's it's smart and that's why it works that's why it's a movie that we're still talking about we are not talking about other movies of that era in that genre of the teen angst genre and there were plenty of them there are kind of almost in every generation but but that's the one thing about the gen x world is it was very, very stuck on itself. Still kind of is in its own way. And I, I think you see that a lot in that film. You see that sort of, uh, that it was woke in its own way, but it was woken by itself. Yeah. it was yeah. worried that it wasn't the greatest generation and it wasn't the baby boomer generation and it was a commentary sort of on those that we're going to kind of do things our way the punk movement and all the rest of the things that kind of came out of the 80s into the 90s and it really it's a it's a great fun movie for that expression it's not something that's hitting you over the head there were some other really fine art pieces you know from that era that that were really that starred all those kinds of people that were really you know more serious sure sort of more on the point Mm. but this was a great romp kind of like you said it's you know it's a you know a day in the life of kind of uh epic journey kind of a movie but it still paid a little homage, you know, to some of the greats that came to like The Graduate and other things. I think there were some shots that were set up mm-hmm. in a way to be like that and to kind of remind you that John Hughes was thinking about this being a classic all the way through. I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, of course, when people go back and look at things through the filter of... 2021 we're not the first people to talk about this either but you know people talk about how john hughes had almost you know exclusively caucasian characters and sometimes trafficked in stereotypes when he did have minority characters in other movies this is what he wrote about this is what he knew uh that's just the reality of life and yes the the problems here we talk about first of all just because you come from a nice upper middle class family doesn't mean you don't have problems we've seen in real life uh, you know some of the schools with the biggest drug problems and suicide and other 
deadly, tragic, serious uh, situations are sometimes in the most affluent neighborhoods. I mean, there's, you know, yes, you don't have to worry about the, the dangers of gun violence, but there's a lot of other things that go into being a 16-year-old a any place in life. And, you know, early on, Ferris even, you know, he, he, he breaks the fourth wall, which is another thing that happens just a couple of times in this movie. And he talks about how other kids got cars for their birthday and all he got was a computer. And even I remember watching that saying, <laughs> shut up! Right, well... Uh, that's true, but some of the more uh, bizarre and uh, deadly mass shootings have happened in affluent neighborhoods, including the affluent suburbs of the North Shore of Chicago. Right. Less than a decade after Ferris Bueller came out, mm -hmm. there was actually a really tragic mass shooting at a grade school. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first that made national headlines. Absolutely true. It's a film that holds up, too, because I think there's a part of us, even if you were the student that always played by the rules, that wishes you could have been a Ferris Bueller. So it's just fun seeing him get away with things. And then there's also the elaborately constructed uh, and deftly done pieces where he just misses being seen by his father yes. as he goes into shaky. And then there's a moment where uh, they pull up and he's he's in the car and, and he looks over and Sloan is kind of making eyes at him and he kind of does a double take, which I always wondered. I'm like, oh, I guess the dad never met Ferris's girlfriend, but that could be possible because, you know, he, he was one of those kind of clueless dads. Mom was way more in, involved. Uh, and by the way, I always love this fact, too. Lyman Ward and Cindy Pickett, who played right. the parents. And I actually did a screening of Ferris Bueller's Day Off with those two, not only a couple of years ago. And they both look amazing. And they're great friends. But they met on the set of the movie mm -hmm. and then got married. Ferris, wow. Ferris Bueller's parents... <laughs> Got married. They're really married? You know, because usually you think like, okay, the young... And, you know, Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey got engaged at one point. You know, they played the brother, brother and sister. But Lyman, Lyman Ward and Cindy Pickett, they had not known each other. Now, they're, you know, they're playing parents who were probably, what, in their early 40s at the uh -huh. time, right around 45. Cindy Pickett, just a great beauty. And Lyman Ward's a great beauty, too. Let's give him his credit. <laughs> no, he was, he looked like... I think he was cast partly because he he looked like every dad in every, like, 50s sitcom. Yeah, you know, true. that kind of like, how you doing, pal? Oh, you're a little bit sick. You're okay by me, you know? And then, I'm off to work. What's the name of my other kid? You know, he kind of, <laughs> kind of that clueless, you know... But lovable uh, right. boob they got married uh-huh and they had two children and then yeah. they got divorced unfortunately well because, let's you know. think about this but think about if that. you were the children of the screen parents of ferris bueller right think about that do you think that they made the kids watch ferris bueller's day off and do you think one of the kids thought oh well i can get past them yes i do and I, I, you'd almost have to try to be absent nine times <laughs> just so the school counselor or vice principal or, or whatever would call Cindy Pickett, the actress, and say, and I, I, also for the record, they did not name their kid Ferris, which would have been, you know, yeah, it's a little, little too deep. But yeah. uh, I just always found that fascinating because I, I don't know if I've ever heard of the parents in a movie, the parent characters falling in love and getting married. There's a million stories about how the young couple, you know, has yeah. a steamy affair or whatever. But right. I mean, I don't think like, uh, you know, back in the day, I don't you know, on Golden Pond, it's not like Catherine Hepburn and then Hank Fonda then, you uh, know. Although, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy did. Yeah. Right? I mean, so I don't know that they ever played parents. What I'm about, trying to think uh, about that. Rock Hudson and Doris Day? Probably not. They did not get married. Okay, probably No, but they not. did claim to love each other very deeply for the rest of their careers. <laughs> there you go. That's so, how that goes. I know there's a Super Bowl commercial a couple of years ago where Matthew Broderick essentially they kind of did a riff on Ferris Bueller. I like the fact that these John Hughes films, because there had been talk for years about 
Maybe there'll be a Breakfast Club 25-year movie where they're all middle-aged and dropping their kids off at detention or something. Yeah. I, I like that it just stays in its own universe because then we can just picture, because I picture that Ferris and Sloan got married, just like she says, he's going to marry me. And they yeah. had a son and they named him Cameron. Yeah. Right around this time now, because it's what? It's 35 years later, so they could easily have kids of college age. And I, I've got them in my universe. Their son, Cameron, is friends with Joel Goodson Jr., the risky business character uh, <laughs> played by Tom Cruise. Now, he's not in the in the John Hughes universe, but he's in the North Shore universe, oh, right? This is almost like working the Marvel <laughs> universe into yeah. the... I, well, this is. This is the Hughes uh, extended, Paul Brickman uh, extended universe that I have in my brain okay. all the time. And I know Uncle Buck has just recently retired, you know, because, of course, we lost the late great John Candy, but the characters live on. Uh-huh. But I like the idea that, that Ferris and Sloan... Uh, just recently drove down to University of Illinois to pick up their son, Cameron, who's who rooms with Joel Goodson Jr. <laughs> How about that? Okay. Uh, you all right with that? I'm, oh, yeah, sure. I'm fine. Why don't you actually put that on paper, send that. I've thought about doing a to, chart of you know, the whole thing. You could actually, you know, uh, you could probably do a treatment for it and uh. sell that to Hollywood because they may go for something like that because it, it, there's, there's comfort film yeah, legacy and all of that. You know, it, it's it, it's funny. You know, you mentioned this. Matthew Broderick though does not look like Ferris Bueller grown up. You know, Matthew Broderick looks like a retiring Ivy League professor of some sort who's just written a bunch of books, and you saw him on the CBS Sunday Morning News. That's kind of the way he has aged into his his look. He always looked older. He looked younger than he was then. Yeah. And I think he's looked consistently older than he is now. I think that's the look he wants because he oh, was yeah. cast as yeah. the uh, the boyish guy until he was about 35. And I think that's the life he actually leads in New York, as you mentioned, is probably a lot closer to that because his first love is the theater, as you know. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And just a footnote, um, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone mm-hmm. is for 100% a child psychologist because he had to deal with so many issues as a child uh-huh. and therapy after being, you know, left home alone and then So is that where Cameron lost Bueller went to therapy before he went to college? Possibly so. That's as deep Illinois. as I'm going to get for okay. you today. All right. Okay. Happy birthday Ferris Bueller and your day off and congratulations on uh, congratulations on catching that foul ball at the Cubs game. <laughs> right. That's true. Although, how many games have you been to in your life? You know, Maybe over a thousand yes. baseball games. Have you ever caught a foul ball? Or come close? No, I think one ricocheted off my hand when I was nine, yeah. and some forty-year-old man snatched it away. <laughs> exactly, and that man <laughs> was Ed Rooney. All right, okay, uh, stand by because I got to tell you all about Portillos. Uh, but on the other side of me telling you about Portillos, we are going to talk about sports because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about how instant replay has either ruined or made sports. <laughs> A legal pursuit. Okay. We'll talk about that on the other side. But first, Portillo's. I've told you about the hot dogs and the fresh ingredients for the poppy seed bun or the great Italian beef and the great Italian sausage. And you can have it together as a combo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're not from the Midwest or the Chicago metropolitan area or some places on the East Coast. You might think to yourself, oh, my God, how can you have Italian sausage and Italian beef together. What is Italian beef? People might even ask. Well, they get their sausage from Ave Perlman, the sausage king of Chicago. (laughs) I will say this, that if you have not had those two things together, sure, 
it seems like a uh, thing you can only enjoy, uh, you know, from time to time. But you must at Portillo's and then wash it all down with a chocolate cake shake. Insane. It's a, okay. Maybe it's a once a year thing to do it that way. But I'll tell you, Portillo's wow. they also have salads and they've got great chicken dishes and things like that. So, if you are in a place in which there's a Portillo's, the Midwest, parts of California, Florida, Arizona, you need. Go to Portillo's.com right now and order for pickup, order for delivery, or if you live anywhere else and you've never been to a Portillo's or seen a Portillo's, order online at Portillo's.com. It's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. They will ship anywhere. They'll ship it. You know, it's it's not going to come fresh to you. It's going to come frozen, but you are mm. going to enjoy it just as much. I tell you, it's going to change everything, especially if you know people who are from Chicago and you're going to have a party or something. It's a great thing to have. Or if you're an expatriate of Chicago and you would like to have the Portillo's, go to Portillo's.com. They have our full support. Okay, so one of the conversations that's being had right now in Major League Baseball is should the umpires be forced to explain the calls that they make on the field like is done in football has now been done in football to almost like a, a tragic event. I think the ruling on the field is incomplete pass with an interception on the tip and also offsides and delay of game. It's under further review. You're like, what? <laughs> right. It's too much. It is. Yeah. It's like going to a court hearing. The ref always trying to work that mic and he's turning it on and off like an uncle at a bar mitzvah. Is this on? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Now they do it. Now they do it in hockey, but it's short and sweet and to the point in hockey. Uh, like everything else, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They don't have a lot of time. And now we uh, get right back to hey, the guys yeah. kicking each other's teeth in. There was no goal, eh? You know, that's about it. Well, here's I have some questions for you about this, Ro, yeah. because we're back almost fully in all the sporting events right now. And this is a great time of year because you've got NBA and NHL playoffs, baseball really heating up in more ways than one. Uh, most of the ballparks now, including we're here in Chicago, are at full capacity or going to be very shortly. It's very cool because a lot of the parks did and clubs did reopening day. They did like a second opening day because the opening day they had maybe you know 20% capacity. Mm -hmm. Now you can have the full thing. So they did the banners and big productions and everything. And I think that's awesome. It definitely makes it for more enjoyable television viewing. And this is screen time. We always talk about how things you know translate through the screen. And you and I are on record. We talked about last year, and listen, everybody did the best they could, but the piped-in crowd noise and the stupid you know cardboard fans and the virtual fans, <laughs> it was all bullshit. It didn't, it, it, it didn't work. It wasn't authentic. It, and the announcers, just now, some of the announcers are able to return to the booth. The announcers did a great job, I thought, in, in all the sports. But sometimes they'd even say, I'm in a booth somewhere a thousand miles away. Right. I, you know, they'll say, "Oh, that's a deep drive." Oh, I'm so, I, I didn't see that it went foul. They couldn't see it on their monitors. They were kind of. You're right. They, they, they did an admirable job given the circumstances. Now they're back, and w I think we realize a few things. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has changed how we live in so many ways. It's made us rethink things. We, some of us live like hermits. Some of us braved the the dangers of the virus because. We had to. Some mm -hmm. people got very political about it, and it changed the way they viewed themselves and the world. Yeah. And we now have to figure out who we really are because we got jumbled. We literally were like yeah. dice in a cup. 
that we're being <laughs> that Yahtzee. we got reshuffled yeah. essentially, and now we have to figure out how we're going to come back to either stasis or we're going to change forever. And baseball and all of sports, you know, just like anything else, they have to adjust to the fact that that some tastes have changed. Live sporting events, live concerts, live anything mm -hmm. now still takes a little bit of a leap of faith for people. But then there are enough folks oh, yeah. like myself included in this latter category are people who just can't wait to get back out. You know, if you're fully vaccinated and you've decided that that's what you want to do, or if you're not fully vaccinated and you just decided that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. which I think is a little riskier, and that's my proviso, you should go out and get vaccinated yes, or please. wait another year, is <laughs> the way Stay I look aside, at it. Yeah. But if you, are, if you are fully vaccinated and you want to go out and you want to do something, it's the best feeling in the world. It, it, it feels almost as though the year before didn't happen. It is kind of strange how quickly in some ways you get past it, but then in other ways, you know, I think it's going to stick with people forever. I mean, the Foo Fighters did a, a full concert in New York City over the weekend, but Dave Grohl said, if you're not vaccinated, you're not getting in. You had to show proof. And then there was like, we're going to protest. And I think seven people showed up outside the, the venue. And then Dave Chappelle came on and they, they did a rendition of Creep, which I'm still trying to figure out why. But wow. it was pretty cool. Awesome. But but the thing with the sporting events, a couple of things here, yes. Ro. What, what I like about the NBA playoffs is, and they can review things like, you know, hard fouls, uh, you know, deliberate fouls where the team gets the ball on a free throw, you know, that kind of right. thing. Uh, you know, they for decades you've been able to figure out if a shot was good because they have the the red light around the backboard that goes off. Right. You know, and and so, but what I like is once they do a review, the referee walks right up to the camera, like right up to the scorers table or the announcers table, right, and he looks like one of those confessionals, like on a reality dating <laughs> show, and he's very very articulate. And detailed, and he'll say, and, he, and they even say the names of the players. They don't go like, that was a hard foul on number 54. They're like, Dwight Howard clobbered the guy in the head, so we're calling that a hard foul. It's going to be, you know, their ball, taking it out of bounds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Even in football, and yes, it changes from year to year what they can wow, re, you know, review. Rules. I, the, the rule stuff. Let it's, me just do an yeah. aside here. The football is out of its yeah. freaking mind. Yeah. I mean, it changes the rules every year because they have a committee of the owners who change the rules yeah. every year. And then the officials don't even know the rules. Then they say during lot. the preseason, yeah. they're like, well, you know, it's a preseason for the officials too because <laughs> they have to figure out they do, what though. they are. You almost have to have a lawyer, which is an entire cottage industry now yeah. of lawyers in the booth during football games. Every football game has to have a former referee who is the only person who's actually read all the rule yeah. books and probably knows it better than those other guys and then has the institutional knowledge to tell you what the difference was back in my day yeah. we used to that was legal but they have to explain now you, you have to have the announcer the play-by-play -play guy you got to have the color yeah. guy and you have to have the lawyer yeah. mike Pereira, former nfl ref now joining right. us who's wonderful by the way and some of the other guys are as well but, it's, but it, you're right that's, that's ridiculous though it's ridiculous that football has now gone it has to pause to for a, a sidebar yeah. right yeah for a no, it's, right. it's the most yeah. american sport in, in that <laughs> well, this is going to go to litigation right there but, might be an out of, out of field settlement on the 30 yard line no you're absolutely right was right. it george will who said about yeah. football he said you know it's the worst of american sports because it's 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 violence interrupted by meetings well that's absolutely true and yeah there'll be there's going to be a penalty and yeah a lot of times i think even the as you mentioned even the announcers and certainly the coaches and players it's like well is something's reviewable and something's not so they're like if they're reviewing a play in the nfl and they see another offense occurring they can't say well the pass was incomplete but we just noticed holding on the yeah. line inside linebacker no it's too late now 
But at least in football and basketball, for those of us who are watching at home, which is 99.9% of the audience, for those of us who are watching at home, we get some sort of explanation. It might be a half-assed explanation, but it's an explanation of what just happened and we're going to move on. And sometimes they'll even say, even though a coach will throw the challenge, the little the stupid little red sock, you know, hacky sack thing mm-hmm. that they have, which in the world of technology, I can't believe they still have to throw a red hacky sack onto the field. Well, you wanted uh, to text him? But yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Him. My phone was off. I'm gonna I was a, asleep. A flare gun in the team colors <laughs> would be kind of nice, I think, on the sidelines. <laughs> but at least you get an explanation. And sometimes the, the, the official will even say that is not a reviewable, you know, offense, alleged offense. But here's what happens in baseball, as you know. If there's some sort of challenge, a lot of times a runner knows he was safe at first, and he was. And you see on the replay, foot hitting bag before yeah. ball gets into glove, or there's a tag at home plate, or somebody is for sure that that ball was fair, not foul. Then the umps, um, and some of the umps are in great shape, and some of them look like um, a cop on the last day before he retires, and he's had the desk job for the last 15 years. You know, big fellas. So they take their time, and they, they kind of rule the roost out there. And they're like, ah, you're out of the game. I didn't like the way you looked at me. There's still <laughs> there's still that, like, 1890s yeah. ump, like Joe West out there, oh, right? Yeah. But they, they all go to some contraption where they put on headphones from the 70s, those big, giant-ass headphones right. with a cord on it, hooked up to what looks like one of those radios from World War II. <laughs> and then there's the committee somewhere else in a different city, I think in New York. Yeah. And they have guess. to wait and wait and wait and wait. And we and the announcers are speculating. They're not even sure sometimes what's being reviewed. And there, there's and sometimes you see it from seven ankles and it, seven angles, maybe seven ankles and if there was a collision. But <laughs> it's clear that the ball was trapped or it's clear that the tag was made you know, an inch or two before the guy hit the bag. And we're seeing it from a million angles. And then the umps, because umps love to do this too. Only a few of them are very demonstrative. They love to do just that that really quick, like, safe or yeah. out thing. Right. They take off the headphones and they walk back toward the mound. And they just go either safe or out. And then the manager, whoever lost the you know decision, comes running out. They never explain anything to the fans in the stadium or at home. I, I, I think that's horrible. And as usual, Major League Baseball is like trailing when it comes to figuring out what's best for the home viewing audience. Well, Baseball's always thought it shit doesn't stink. Right. Because There's it's that the oldest to it. Yes, exactly. sport that was an American sport. And it, it just, it, they, they have this this way about deciding that, well, the angles and the, the fact that it's 90 feet and 60 feet and six inches, yeah. it's sacrosanct and it's, it's, and it's all bullshit. They should catch up with the times. You are right. Because we see it on the television and it needs to be explained to us. Their fear is that balls and strikes yeah, yeah, are going exactly. to be now reviewed, and they don't want that. Yeah. So the solution to that is to put an electronic ump in yeah. that can actually call balls and strikes. Because at home, we're watching that strike box yeah. on television, and we know if it was a ball or a strike, and we know when the home plate ump screwed up, yeah. And they don't want to lose that job I position. I understand that, yeah. And even that that technology, there are now this next subset of people who are saying, that technology isn't perfect because it's you know it's two-dimensional and it's five-dimensional That's and one-dimensional. That's and totally wrong. But, but there, is, you know, there is the point, like, where did it cross the plate? Uh, what part of the plate did it get? And the strike zone has never been the actual strike zone. I mean, the strike zone is still like right. you know the kneecaps to the you know the you know to your chin basically, like to your yeah, anything that's above the waist is pretty high. The ups do a pretty darn good job, but there are some cases where you're like, and the batters are amazing because once in a while a batter will complain, and then you see on the replay thingy that it was a strike. But 
they're almost always right. When the ump misses the call and the ball is like three inches outside, their eyes are incredible. And they, they're like shaking their heads and everything. And then you see the replay. I'm like, batter was right. We should do what we did when we were kids. Let the batter on the honor system <laughs> call balls and strikes. Ah, you got me, lefty. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I don't, I don't think that it would work, quite honestly. Okay. Right, so here's what you come down to, though, is in a really tight game, a blown call makes all the difference, yeah. and that happens once a week in baseball. Once a week, there is some umpire yeah. call that on a ball or strike yeah. that is controversial on some level, right? It, across the entire league. Yeah. It doesn't happen to your home team all the time, but it happens enough that it's once a week in baseball. So the question then becomes, what do you do about that? Do you make the technology, which already exists, mm. and actually, if you want to know the truth, they now already have changed the technology so it accounts for the time that the ball is crossing the plate it's wow. that good there is technology hmm. i mean they're using the same technology essentially that they use for shot spotter which law enforcement now uses wow. to figure out how a no bullet travels if it's fired out of a gun and they can tell everything about it they can tell wow. how fast it's going the That's speed the, the caliber all of that that technology is available okay. to major league baseball actually to all sports so that Oof. it will tell everything about that ball so they will know for sure wow. the question is do you really want that because there are reasons it's the same reason that they still have to figure out a way to keep pitchers from using that sticky stuff on their fingers, yeah. which they've been doing for 120 years. And now they've decided, well, we're yeah. going to have to do something about that because the pitching has gotten too good. When you see a guy literally bending down and touching his ankle between each pitch. Yeah, it's been you're going, secret. You're right. Right. And you're going, well, look at what that guy's doing. And nobody's stopping him. And the umpires speed up the game by widening the strike zone because they know it's either a double header or there's an early game game the next day yeah, yeah. or it's getaway day and they and everybody needs to catch their flight or if it's the next 10 place. to 1 you know there's all these un yeah. baseball by far has the most unwritten rules you yeah. know uh, including earlier this year when a position player was on the mound and your your mean mercedes of the white Sox hit a 500,000 foot home run on a 3 and 0 pitch and then it's like you're not supposed to do that and i'm like well what, you know what if he's got something in his contract that says a certain amount of homers he gets more money and i said you put somebody out there it's 3 and 0 swing away and then you're not supposed to steal a base when you're up by 7 but now these days teams come come back from 8 and it used to be that pitchers weren't supposed to like scream in celebration when they struck someone out or batters weren't supposed to flip the bat and that's all kind of gone by the wayside and i'm all for that let these guys have fun. All right, so you're for they keep the humans the humans, or you would like more computers? Because you could go the other way and yeah. go totally Hunger Games, where there yeah. are no umpires out there, and when a guy slides into third, and he's out, and then the no, thing opens up, and then no. he gets swallowed. Yeah. I mean, the umps can, can be there as representatives of the technology, like the home plate umpire can be relaying what the technology said, but let's say there's a snafu. He could then take over calling the game. He still has to make maybe calls who's safe, certain things like that. And he's got to throw out the manager who's, you know, the, how's the electronics technology people going to throw out an umpire? I, I know mean, exactly a, a, a manager. They're yeah. actually going to get the umpire audited in oh, the next tax season. Well, I just want more right. uh, transparency from our officials in all sports, explaining to us what the hell is going on in our various favorite sports. Here's some transparency for you. The Rowan Roper Podcast brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. That's correct. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for all the information. Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson are our executive producers. Brian Altimer is our musical director. 
See you next time.